Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Good morning, New Life Church, and to all of our friends who have joined us from all over the world. Uh, We're grateful that you could worship with us this morning on our Lord's Day here on a Friday in the, the Gulf region. So over the last few weeks, we have been going through the book of Acts together. Last week, we looked at the key ingredients in the life of the local church. We saw that the, the first Jerusalem church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And the writer of Acts, Luke, he describes the early church by saying, Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles we saw in chapter 2. But Luke doesn't tell us what the signs and the wonders were. Um, He gives us some clue and today as we look at chapter 3, he gives us a glimpse into one of these signs and wonders that we are going to look at this morning. So the title of my message this morning is Something Better Than Gold. And the passage is from Acts chapter 3. We'll be looking from verse 1 to verse 10. So if you would read with me, Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's ask God's blessings on the preaching of His Word. Father, we pray that You would please help us to learn this morning. We pray that You would open up our ears and open up our eyes and open up our minds and our hearts to Your Scripture this morning. Father, this is probably such a a familiar passage that so many of us have learned at Sunday school over the years. But we pray the familiarity of it won't um, help us to that we won't close our eyes to the truth that is here for us this morning. So we pray, Lord, for your spirit to teach us. We pray, Lord, that um, he would help us to understand and help us to apply as well, Father, that we won't just be the hearers of the word, but the doers as well. So we need your help today, Lord, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John Stott, a famous Christian author and pastor in the UK, he tells of an English Salvation Army drummer who was beating his drum so hard that the band leader had to tell him to 
pipe it down a bit and, and not make so much noise. And in his cockney accent, the drummer replied, God bless you, sir. Since I've been converted, I'm so happy I could bust a blooming drum. Our text records the, the healing of a, a beggar man by the apostle Peter, who followed Peter and John into the, into the temple, jumping for joy. And this is the joy that this passage really describes for us this morning. And I believe that this man that we are going to study was not only healed physically, but he was also healed spiritually because he was praising God. So if he wasn't saved right after his healing, I'm pretty sure that he responded to Peter's sermon, which he preached directly after this. So here we have in chapter 3, verse 1 to 11, a miracle, one of the many miracles, um, not just the first one, I think many happened before, as we read in Acts chapter 2. Many wonders and miracles and signs were done by the apostles. But we have this one recorded for us uh, for the first time. And miracles were common in the ministry of our Lord um, Jesus Christ. But remember, Jesus wasn't here at this particular time. He had already ascended up into heaven. But Jesus delegated the power to perform miracles to the apostles. And these miracles were happening right here in the, in the record that we have of the first New Testament church. And these miracles were necessary. These miracles were important because they, they validated the apostles as the true, genuine teachers from God. If you remember, during the times of Jesus, in, in the ancient world, um, during the time of the, the, the Judaism, there were many types of teachers. There were rabbis, there were, there were scribes, there were Pharisees, and many others who claimed to be teachers. But how did they know the true teacher? How did they know the one who was genuine and the one who was fake? How did they know who speaks on behalf of God? Well, the true teachers were manifested by miraculous power. As we see in the apostles in the Old Testament, sorry, by the prophets in the Old Testament. And remember in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, who himself was a Pharisee, unable to perform these types of miracles, he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 verse 2. And, and he says to Jesus, we know, teacher, that you are from God. And the passage tells us they knew because of the things that Jesus was able to do, the miraculous things that Jesus was able to do. Nobody could do these things, he says, unless they were sent from God. So Jesus, remember, had ascended back to heaven at this time, and the apostles were still left on the earth to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And the reason they were doing miracles was to validate themselves as these messengers of the mission, the messengers of God who were continuing the work that, that Jesus had started. So here is one of these miracles that have been recorded for us in chapter 3. And my first point this morning is a lame man. A lame man. We see that in verse 1 to 3. The main character of these three 
verses, these first three verses, is the lame man. There are other characters, two other characters that are mentioned here. Um, verse 1 tells us that Peter and John were going to the temple. And Peter and John, they were, they were friends. They had been partners in the fishing business when Jesus called them. They were together in, in ministry. Together they had run to the empty tomb after Jesus' resurrection. They were together under persecution. And they, they worshipped together. And verse 1 tells us that they were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. They were serious Jews. Um, this was their, their normal routine. There wasn't really anything unusual about this. But as they came to the temple, as they came in from the, the beautiful gate, they came across a crowd of people that were entering for the evening sacrifice, as well as a beggar. And this is our main character, which we see here. He's being carried to his usual place, which was outside this gate, where he would, where he would beg for money. Um, and again, this was not unusual. There were beggars that were there. But this particular gate was a favorite spot for, for beggars to come. The gate was called beautiful because it was beautiful. Um, this particular gate was covered in Corinthian brass, which was a, a mixture, an alloy of copper, gold, and silver. This particular gate was 75 feet tall, and it took 20 men to, to open this gate. And um, legend tells us when the sun rose up over the eastern mountains, the gate was, was dazzling. It was beautiful. And of course, everybody wanted to enter into this gate and get a glimpse of this gate. So this was a perfect place for beggars to hang out. This was a place where the crowds would come. So this was a lucrative place for beggars where they would get the most amount of people and the most um, possible, possible, possibility of, of getting some type of alms from the, from the worshippers. But I want to, you to notice the condition of this beggar man that we read about. He had been born lame, the Bible tells us, and had, he had lived his life this way from the, the very beginning. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, it tells us that this man was over 40 years old. So for 40 years, he had, he had never walked. He had never been able to walk. And his only means of living was begging for alms. Alms is a, is a benevolent word for, for money. Sometimes people wouldn't give exactly money. They would give some, some food, um, anything to, to help this, this beggar. But I also want you to notice that this was a, it was a special day. It wasn't just an ordinary day. Um, even though it started off ordinary, just like any other day, um, his brothers uh, took him out of bed. His brothers probably uh, dressed him, and then they carried him to this special place outside the, the temple gate. But as he lay there, I'm sure he thought of all the days that he had been there, of all the days that he stretched out his hand and, and asked people, four arms. He looked down probably at his useless legs on, on the blanket in front of him like he would have done every, every other day. He, remember, he had never felt any sensation. He couldn't walk. He couldn't um, use them. He had no strength in his legs. He never ran as a boy. He never walked as a man. Um, it wasn't much of a life. He, he, he existed the best way that he could, and that was 
to get money. He couldn't work. He had to beg for money. And today was just like any other day. He thought that he would get some money from um, benevolent people, from kind people. And the sky wasn't any different. The sky wasn't any bluer. Um, the birds didn't sing any different. They didn't sing any, any sweeter or any louder. The sun didn't shine in any, any different way. It was just a day like any other day. But yet, before it finished, it would be the best day of his life. It would be the best day of his life. He would meet Peter and John, and they would introduce him to the great physician. Which leads to my second point. We see a miracle. We see a miracle happening in chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 4 to verse 8. We told that it was the ninth hour. So this is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon when people would come for prayer. And the miracle unfolds in verses 4 straight through to verse 8. But verse 3, the beggar is asking to receive alms. And he probably would have been very um, skilled. He would have been very good at doing this. He's been doing this for 40 years. But I want, I want you to notice four elements in this miracle. Notice firstly that it was unexpected. It was unexpected. Um, this isn't a man crying for a miracle. He's not, he's not expecting a miracle. This is a man who simply wants money. And so God sovereignly chooses him. God sovereignly selects him. Peter and John, with all the people around, literally by the power of the, the Holy Spirit, they are driven towards this particular beggar. They focus in on this particular beggar. Probably the same beggar they have passed for years, sitting at the same place. And they focus on him. And we see specifically this beggar in God's sovereignty is chosen. This miracle was sovereign. This miracle is unexpected. And in God's grace, we see this man receiving what he never thought he would have. He's literally taken into the presence of the apostles who say to him very clearly, we do not possess silver and gold. We do not possess silver and gold. We don't have silver and gold. And I think there's a lesson there, right there, isn't there? As, as believers, we don't offer silver and gold to people. We don't give them this option as a way for them to enjoy life or for a way for them to find hope, for a way for them to find satisfaction. This is not the point of the gospel. Peter and John make it clear, we do not have this to offer. The second thing we see here is that this miracle is in the name of Jesus. They have something else to offer, something else much greater. And it's for this purpose of connecting this man to Jesus. This miracle has a purpose. It has a reason. Notice he says, In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazarene walk. Now we could spend so much time just talking about this, unpacking this very sentence. There are a number of things here that we need to see. Remember in chapter 2, Peter, in his first sermon, he identifies Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. And this was something that the Jews had called 
Jesus as a way to mock him because they, they would say nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nazareth was a, well, was a nothing town. No prophet had come out of there, and, and they thought certainly no Messiah is going to come out of Nazareth. You never went to Nazareth for anything. No tourist, no business. It was a, it was a nothing town. But Peter is using the name of this town attached to the name of Jesus. And Peter is saying in his sermon that this, this Jesus that you mocked, it's this Jesus that you poked fun at, it's this Jesus that you refuse to accept, who is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he said in his first sermon. And now Peter is saying, because of this same Jesus, because of who Jesus is, and by virtue of his authority, and by virtue of his power that has been delegated to me, I say to you, walk. I say to you, walk. In Jesus' name, this means by the power of and by the will of Jesus. This wasn't in, in Peter's power. This wasn't in because of Peter's will or because of John's power. They reflected all the glory to Jesus. Peter and John are saying, if Jesus were here, this is what Jesus would have said. This is what Jesus would have done. We are here, delegated by him. We are his messengers. And we are granting his power to you to rise up and walk. And what they're doing is calling attention to this man, to Jesus. They want this man to understand that the healing power is from Jesus. This wasn't about money. It wasn't about silver. It wasn't about gold. It wasn't about property. It wasn't about bank accounts. It wasn't about cars. It was about Jesus Christ. This was something eternal that they wanted them, this beggar to see. Not something temporary. And I believe miracles were done for a purpose. We see this in the Bible. Miracles were done to point people to Jesus Christ, whom they preached about and whom they represented. And miracles weren't done in isolation from the, the message of the Bible, of the message of Jesus. First came this miracle, then came the preaching to help people understand. And Peter takes this man and he lifts him up. And it tells us in verse 7, look at verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now some commentators have already said, I've already mentioned that this man was over 40 years old. And he had never walked a, a day in his life. I think... Robert, our resident physiotherapist, can, can tell us all that someone who hasn't walked for 40 days is going to need therapy. He's going to need some type of treatment to regain his strength. But the text tells us that this man hadn't walked for 40 years, over 40 years, not just 40 days. And the text also tells us that immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. This is immediate. This is creative. This is a creative miracle. No rehabilitation was required. 
And if you notice, all of Jesus' miracles are like this. They are instant acts of creation. New tissue is given. New fibers are given. New muscles are given. New cartilage is given. New bone is given. Everything that is needed, even for the brain to be able to communicate to the muscles what they need to do. This is not something that any physiotherapist could manufacture or any healer can manufacture. This was only done through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also notice, thirdly, that this miracle was instantaneous. This miracle was instantaneous. We could, we could add the word complete. How do we know it was complete? Well, look at verse 8. Verse 8 tells us, because he leaped. He leaped, which means that his muscles were strong enough for him to jump in the air. They were tight. They were strong. They were hard enough. They were able enough for him to be able to leap in the air. And he stood upright, the passage says. He literally came right up out of his sitting position. Or maybe he was lying down. We don't know. But he came straight up from that position. And he began to walk. And he began to, to leap. He entered the temple with them. The Bible says walking and leaping. But of course he was leaping. Of course something miraculous had happened. There wasn't some slow, painful therapy that he needed to undergo before he was healed here. There was no one telling him that it was a miracle, but it's going to take a while for things to, to work properly. No. It tells us that instantaneously he was athletic in a couple of seconds. But notice also, the miracle prepared people for the message. The miracle prepared people for the message. As I've mentioned already, Jesus' miracles and the apostles' miracles were all from God and they were all for a reason. And they were all supernatural. They weren't manufactured naturally or man-made or by a charlatan or a, or a type of a, a fake magician. They were sudden and they were sufficient. And they had one purpose. And that was to draw a crowd to the message that was about to be preached about Jesus Christ. The one who gave the very power for this healing. And that's the sequel which we're going to look at next week. We're going to look at this power. You can imagine, sorry, we're going to look at this message. And you can imagine the crowds that were drawn to, to this person who had been healed. This very public beggar who had been here for years and years and years. Now walking and praising and leaping. For God, he must have caused a commotion and people were drawn to him. And with that attention, Peter preaches his second sermon, which we will look at next week. And verse, verse 8 tells us that he entered the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw this. All the people saw this. And they were taking note of him. This was the beggar who sat at the beautiful gate. We've seen him before. And now look at him. They weren't confused by his identity. They knew exactly who this beggar was. And it tells us in verse 18, sorry, in verse 11, there he is clinging to Peter and John. And all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. 
full of amazement. And then in verse 12, Peter, he stands up to preach. But the whole point of the apostles' miracles were to demonstrate that God was at work through the apostles. It was undeniable. Even the leaders who would have wanted to deny this miracle couldn't. They couldn't deny the power of Jesus as they saw demonstrated through this miracle. It was undeniable. And if the power of God was coming through them, then the word of God was going to come through them with the same rate of power. And the truth is, miracles are, are not that common in the Bible. Miracles were, were quite rare, even in the Old Testament, extremely rare. Of course, God used miracles in Egypt, but it was a, it was a form of judgment upon people. Remember Moses and the miracles around even Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. They were miracles for the purpose of judgment, many. But the rest of the Old Testament, we don't find creative miracles that we see here in the, in the New Testament. We just, we just don't find them. But then the Messiah comes and everything changes. And to validate his own ministry, there's an explosion of these creative miracles at the time of the Messiah and the establishment of the New Testament church and the establishment of the apostles. There's all these miracles that we, we read about. And it's to give them credit. It's to accredit their apostleship. I know what you must be thinking, and I've asked this question myself many times. Well, what about today? What about today? You're talking about the time of the New Testament church, Pastor. You're talking about the apostles. What about miracles today? Well, let me quote John MacArthur. Let me give him the last word about this. John MacArthur, he says, Isn't it a bizarre reality that the people who claim miracle power are the ones with the bad theology? Isn't that bizarre? That it's the heretics who claim miracle power and faithful, God-blessed, sound teachers of Scripture do not make such claims. If God was going to give miracle power today, I'll tell you who would have it. The men you trust and love because of their faithfulness to the Word of God. They would have that power. God wouldn't validate people teaching error. God doesn't validate bad theology. God doesn't validate corrupt, false teachers. I simply say that just to, just to warn you, folks, be careful of people who claim to have the gift of miracles. Be very, very careful. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal today, but God doesn't need a man. He doesn't need a man's particular ministry to make somebody heal, uh, uh, whole again, to heal somebody. God can do it on his own, and he can do it through different individuals. He doesn't need a particular ministry. Be careful of those who claim to have this gift of miracles. Remember, the purpose of ministries, the, the purpose of miracles, I believe, were for this purpose here, which we see in the New Testament church, to validate the apostles' ministry. It was necessary they were required. So people were clear that these were 
people from God. They were sent by God. My third point we see in verse 8 to 10, and that is a praising man. We've seen a lame man in verse 1 to 3. We've seen a miracle change him in verse 4 to 8. And now in the rest of the passage, verse 8 to 10, we see a praising man. From a lame man to a praising man. And also it's important for us to remember, in the middle of this corrupt Judaism, this corrupt form of worship, here is some true worship, some genuine biblical worship happening. Remember Jesus during Passion Week, he pronounced judgment on this temple because of its corruption. And Jesus said, it will all be smashed to the ground. He said, not one stone would be left on another. In that same place, we're talking about the same temple, the same temple where the bigger is. And in the middle of this fake worship, in the middle of this corrupt temple worship here is a genuine converted believer worshiping and praising God he knows the true God the true God has touched his life forever heaven has come down this is real worship real real worship folks isn't some form of of liturgy or just following some ritual or following some rules of religion. Even here, real worship isn't following routine. This man is doing something completely out of routine. He is overwhelmed with joy. He is overwhelmed with praise and gratitude. And we see his response. This man is joyful. This man is joyfully praising God and people are noticing, people are watching, and people are amazed. In fact, they're just astonished. They're taking note of the beggar because they see him walking and they see him praising. They know he's the one who used to sit at the, the beautiful gate of the, the temple. And they are filled also with questions. I don't think they're filled with skepticism because they cannot deny what's happened here, but they're filled with questions. And the opportunity comes for those questions to be answered when, when Peter preaches his second sermon. But here they're filled with wonder. They're filled with astonishment. They're filled with amazement at what has happened. And they're in complete shock, I'm, I'm pretty sure, over what has happened. This depressed, disillusioned, degenerate beggar has turned into a man of joy and God is praised and God is glorified look at the end of verse 8 it tells us he is praising God and then we get to verse 9 and all the people saw him walking and praising God we see that at the end of verse 9 the joy of this healed man should have reminded them of the promise of God if they would turn to him. There's instantaneous gratitude here. And he knows where his healing is coming from. He knows the source of the power of this healing. And you can imagine that 
If he was 40 years old in this condition, he had tried probably all the remedies that people had suggested, all these um, suggestions of how he could have healed himself. And he knew there was no hope. But he knew something different this day. He knew that this creative miracle, and nobody else could argue with it, was from God. This is genuine, grateful worship happening. And as I mentioned, I think this should have been a sign to the Jews. If they knew their Bible, if they had even read a portion of their Bible, especially from Isaiah, this, um, this man's response should have been a sign to them that this indeed was from the Lord Jesus himself. Isaiah 35 verse 4 to 6 tells us this would happen. The prophet says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Verse 6, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. If they knew their Bible, they should have seen this man's response as really a fulfillment of what the prophet had spoken in Isaiah. This would have happened because it was promised it would happen. And those who consider themselves to be religious because this promise had been fulfilled. So here is a man who's healing and who's leaping and who's praising God is really a direct illustration of the promise of Isaiah 35. And notice the joy here we see in these verses. Notice the joy here. God wants us to be grateful. God wants us to be joyful. The New Testament tells us in 1 John, these things I have written to you that your joy may be full that your joy may be full. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to have joy. I read a wonderful story this week that I, that I want to close with. And this pastor commenting on Acts chapter 3, he says, I, I used to have a friend whom I've lost track of named Glenn. He was saved while he was in Tehachapi prison doing five years to life for drug dealing. And his godly mother was at home praying for her wayward son. At the very moment that he wandered into the prison chapel, heard the gospel and was saved. And this man in Acts 3 reminds me of Glenn. He was totally exuberant and open about what God had done for him. If you were easily embarrassed, you would be uncomfortable knowing Glenn. He would walk into a crowded restaurant, see you across the room, and yell, Praise the Lord, brother! Praise the Lord, sister! Then having everyone's attention, he would hand out tracts at every table on his way to the restaurant, telling people, God saved me while I was in prison. Here, read this. I will tell you, uh, this track will tell you how you can be saved. He always used to say, 
I've been forgiven much, so I love Jesus much. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what's happening here in Acts chapter 3? Rejoice. Be grateful. God wants us to be full of joy for what He has done for us. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. As the prophet said, waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Imagine Imagine going into the desert, not when it's so hot, maybe in, in winter. Imagine going into the desert and seeing streams breaking forth and seeing waters coming out. That would, be a, that would be a reason to rejoice, wouldn't it? Well, the prophet's saying, this is what Jesus brings to those who are healed, to those who are forgiven, to those who are restored again to God. Rejoice. And the story of the healing of the lame man should make each of us ask ourselves three questions. And this is what I'm going to close with this morning. Number one, have you received God's gift of healing for your soul through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Number two, if you have received Christ, does the joy in your life Reflect what God has done for your soul. And number three, are you looking for opportunities to share this joy, this joy of new life in Christ with those around you who are still lost in their sin? Well, I hope you could answer yes to all of those questions. And if not, I pray that this passage here would show you, would teach you how we are to respond to the salvation, to the spiritual healing that we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would know this joy. I pray that you would find this joy and that you would give your life to Jesus just like this beggar man did in Acts chapter 3. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this miracle that has been recorded for us. And Lord, as we've seen, there were many things that were done, many miracles and wonders and signs that were done. But you chose to record this one first and leave it for us to examine and to learn from. Lord, I pray that we would have learned from this passage today. I pray your spirit would have searched our hearts, Lord. And if there is ingratitude and, and if we are grumbling and complaining, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for this. If we are truly born again, I pray, Lord, that the joy of the Lord would be seen in our hearts and in our lives. And that we would be praising you and people would know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is our Lord and our King and our Savior. That we would honor you in every situation, even in the midst of this coronavirus, Lord, even with all of these restrictions, Lord, that we would joyfully worship you and people would be clearly attracted to the Savior that we worship and we would be able to share with them the gospel. So, Lord, we pray, please, Holy Spirit, teach us how to, to be more joyful. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Help us to remember Jesus and what he has done for us at the very foot of the cross. Bring us closer again to the cross, Lord Jesus. Help us 
to remember what you have done for us. Just like this healer, just like this healed beggar man. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.